Welcome to another episode of Politically Entertaining. I'm Frank here with Byron. And Byron, once again, it's been another eventful week in politics uh, and news around the world. Uh, but before we get to all that great stuff, let's let us just know what Politically Entertaining is all about. We are here to bring you news and politics uh, that we feel is important to you. Uh, we try to do it for those that don't follow news every day. You can come to us once a week and we you know, break it down for you and let you know what's going on in the world. Uh, before we get into the serious stuff, Frank, aren't you, are you a Knicks fan? <laughs> no, not, um, you know, so that's a very funny question that you asked. Am I a Knicks fan? Um, my dad is a Knicks fan and I have distanced myself very far <laughs> from the Knicks over the years. Um, the last time I probably was interested in the Knicks was when they had uh, Spreewell. And okay. uh, so it's been it's been a long time. I really don't have a professional team, but um, I do feel bad for my dad. My dad is a huge Knicks fan. I talk with him probably every week. We talk about the team. We talk about Phil Jack. We talk about all kinds of stuff. And he is very frustrated. So I do at least share his pain and sympathy with, with that. Yes, that there is a lot for him to be frustrated with. It seems like Phil Jackson uh, wants no parts of uh, Carmelo Anthony anymore and Melo is being stubborn and saying, you know, as of right now, he's staying in New York. Uh, you also had the thing that happened with Charles Oakley a couple of weeks ago. And Draymond Green spoke out on it. And he had to kind of walk back those comments a little bit because he injected uh, sort of a, a slavery mentality to the whole episode. Uh, but we didn't get a chance to get to it last week. I, and I know you had some comments on what happened with Oakley. And I was interested in hearing them and wondering if you would share them with the uh, audience before we get into the show. Sure, man. I, I'd love to. Uh, you know, obviously, we know what happened with Charles Oakley and he got kicked out and then he was banned. And then, of course, it got kind of walked back because, you know, Adam Silver had Michael Jordan on a conference call and he met with Dolan and Oakley and they kind of smoothed it over. But the main thing that that Draymond Green said, going back to what he brought up, he said, well, it's kind of a slave master mentality. And I think that people took it the wrong way from a standpoint of it's such a charged statement that they said, well, he's saying James Olin is racist and that Charles Oakley is his slave. But what he was simply saying is, you know, for the years, Oakley was outspoken as a Nick when he played there in the 90s and certainly, um, you know, maybe even at different points after he retired. But now that he's speaking out directly against Dolan, Dolan is obviously not having it. And he in my opinion over overreacted to Oakley but I think that we have to get past this idea that a slave master thing just means a black white thing or anything like that it means that somebody who is taking advantage of you know they, they have a position of power and when somebody under them is is working and, and they're they're and they're fine as long as they're saying the company line but when they don't you know they're upset and I think that people just got upset at maybe the terminology uh, slave master but I don't really see an issue with it other than the fact that people are just uncomfortable with it and, and he just said it to kind of make the point of there's no reason this guy should be taking such a hard line against Oakley. Oakley didn't really didn't do anything wrong. The Knicks suck and everybody knows it right? So why is Charles Oakley being the scapegoat for being frustrated with James Owen? I'm sure there's a million fans out there, white, black Asian, 
Hispanic that would have said the same thing to James Dolan or or gotten upset with him if they could have had, had you know close enough proximity to him. So I think that's being missed is how poorly he's run the franchise. And then also, like I said, on top of that, the fact that we're just assu- we just assume slave slave master means black white when it doesn't necessarily have to. It just means a, a, a an authoritative figure relationship. Uh, out of everything that happened, I think the thing I was most disappointed in is them trying to embarrass Oakley and, and say he had problems with drinking. James Dolan, who is a recovering alcoholic, I believe, that's not something to be taken lightly. And even if that was true about him, I didn't think that that was necessary to put out there like that. So just a real ugly situation. And I, I did hate to see that part of it. With that said, folks, let's get into some politics. Listening to Politically Entertaining, your Cliff's Notes to American Politics. And now, your host, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We're on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, as well as podcasts on Google Play. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram on the Politically Entertaining, as well as on the Twitter, as the old folks say, the Twitter. We're at the Vocal Minority. We got Nicole Spears joining us shortly. Last season, her comments had folks talking, so we'll see how that goes this time around. She'll be joining us. But before we get to that, Frank, uh, this past weekend, CPAC was in the area in uh, the National Harbor of Maryland near D.C., and they started off with, well, first off, for those of you that don't know, CPAC, Conservative Political Action Committee, uh, is where conservatives meet up annually. And they usually, by and large, for the most part, discuss the same things each year, how the media is bad and there's a liberal bias, how uh, they need to take their country back. And this year in particular, you know, Steve Bannon and Rance Priebus pretty much said that Trump is going to fulfill every promise he made during the campaign. But even before the uh the, the meeting began a week ahead of time. They were making news as uh, Milo Yiannopoulos was he had his invite revoked because some videos surfaced where it seemed like he was sympathizing with pedophiles, as well as uh, Richard Spencer. Some of you may know him. He led this. I guess you want to I guess you can call it an alt-right meeting right after the uh, inauguration here in D.C. He spoke at the convention and. Uh, he was expelled for his comments and the the president of the of CPAC said that pretty much uh, alt-right is racist and and all of these other things uh, anti-semitic and my thing is the irony I found in this rank is you know Breitbart uh, the former CEO of Steve Bannon who is now the chief uh, staff for the president he spoke on the same day as Richard Spencer and for the president to say that he he said that he doesn't want conservatives to be linked with the alt right. That's kind of that's kind of ironic because Steve Bannon, who I said is the C was the CEO of Breitbart. He once said that Breitbart News was a platform for the alt right. So there, there's a bit of irony right there. And I, I wanted to ask you these two questions. 
So I mentioned Milo Yiannopoulos. Yiannopoulos, I'm sorry. His name is kind of hard to pronounce. Yiannopoulos. His invite was revoked. However, do you think that there's some liberal hypocrisy going on because he was on Bill Maher's real time last week and there wasn't that much outcry from liberals when he was on that show as it was with him appearing at CPAC? There was some outcry, but not as much. Uh, so they didn't have much to say when he was on uh, Bill Maher. Do you see any liberal hypocrisy there? And also, what are your thoughts on what was discussed at this year's uh, CPAC? Well, there's always a little bit of hypocrisy. I mean, Bill Maher also, I mean, you got to look at his angle. He's always trying to get a conservative on who sometimes will fan the flames. He's had Ann Coulter on before. He's had other people who, you know, certainly are very, very conservative. So, I mean, from that standpoint, I, one, one thing I'm not clear up clear with, and I guess you clear up is when he appeared on the show, had his comments about the pedophile been leaked or was that? It was a couple of, it was a couple of days after his appearance on there. OK, so he had a, he appeared on there without that being known. So, yeah, I mean, from that standpoint, I don't think it's as big a hypocrisy. Now, if he had if that had been revealed and he had come on the show and it would have been a me a bigger deal. But so, I mean, I look at it like this. These the, the and sometimes to me, there's not as much difference between the these people as as people would like to believe. I, I do. You know, I'm not saying that Bill Maher is a racer. Or anything like that. I'm just saying that. These guys sometimes are on different sides of a platform. So, yeah, there's sometimes there's a and cer- certainly in the case of an all right. Obviously, there's a larger delineation. But when you're talking about people who are maybe moderates, conservatives, moderate liberals, I mean, who knows? Right. Um, yeah. And and so my thought is, all right, you had this guy on the show. You did it for ratings. You didn't know he really made pedophile comments. Don't have really a big deal. As far as a CPAC um the things that were discussed about, you know, they, they rich they use Richard Spencer as a scapegoat, obviously. I think it's very easy, you know, yes. they're, they're getting a lot of heat, you know, about the racist things that are going on in there uh, that they've done and, and things like that. And so they scapegoat Richard Spencer because Richard Spencer has been out there basically saying very wild stuff. So it's very easy to put it on this guy like he bear, he is going to bear the brunt. So now they're like, you know, we're not racist anymore. We, we saw this guy, Richard Spencer, and he's out of here. Like they basically allowed him to basically hang himself. They said, okay, yeah, we're going to have this guy out here. He's going to lead this alt-right movement. You know, he's had this, you know, thing and they let him appear on some different shows and he got punched in the face and now he got punched, he got punched in the face again, right? By his own, by, by his own people. So now he basically got nowhere to go and they can continue on their path of destruction because they've now cleansed themselves of you know the bad apple so to speak but we all know it's just a shell game they just basically move the blame to somebody else and if it happens if somebody else comes out with some wild comments they'll they'll you know sacrifice them too because they have an agenda that they're going to accomplish and this administration will not stop based on just one person's lewd or bad comments they will just remove that person uh from the from the fray and continue on again i ain't saying that conservatives are racist but Racists feel mighty comfortable in you guys' presence. They, I mean, from the Klan to this whole alt-right thing, they they really feel comfortable in you in you guys' company. Uh, but it is a great time to be a conservative. They they run thirty of fifty states, and uh, as far as governors, they run Congress. They have the presidency, so it's it's a good time to be a conservative. I would, however, caution you guys because it wasn't but a good eight years ago that liberals were claiming that. Republican Party was 
uh, dead and it would never come back again. They had a super majority in the Senate, majority in the House. They had Obama in the White House and look where they are now. So it can change just like that. So uh, I would caution any conservative with that and we'll see how they govern and how they do. Uh, I want to talk about the wealth gap between blacks and whites. And there was an article in Bloomberg by Peter Corey and Mark Whitehouse. Uh, it stated statistics such as uh, the average me- median income of, of white households for every $13 that they have, blacks only have a dollar. So that's a 13 to one ratio. But this article, what caught my attention about it was it's, it's sort of like what many are calling a myth buster on wealth on the wealth gap between black and whites, because it's saying that it's not because blacks overspend. It's not because uh, many blacks grow up in single parent homes or lack of education. It boils down to inheritance and white people are five times more likely to inherit something that that has value, money in particular, versus black people. And for the black people that do get an inheritance, uh, it's significantly lower compared to white people. Also, it mentions the advantage of being white from the time you're born uh, in this world and you're white. You have certain advantages that black people don't have. Uh, It mentions symptoms such as redlining, uh, mass incarceration, Predatory financing. Shout out to Wells Fargo, who had to pay one hundred and seventy five million dollars not long ago for leading blacks and Hispanics to subprime uh, mortgages and and high interest, high interest rate loans. When these black people and Hispanics had the same credit scores as their white counterparts, but their white counterparts got much better loans and mortgages on their homes. So they had to pay one hundred and seventy five million dollars for that. Frank, I guess I wanted to ask you, did you, you were you able to read this article? And if you did, do you agree with the so-called myth busters that this article uh, points out? Um, I definitely agree with the uh, the article. I didn't have a chance to read it. So one of the things I want to harken back to is uh, our interview with uh, Tim Wise. And we talked um, about his documentary, White Like Me. And one of the things in his documentary is they talked about how, you know, welfare was given out to, to white people, you know, at a time, you know, in during the Great Depression and things like that, and you talk about the GI Bill and things where there was, when there was a problem in the country and there was unemployment, that the government stepped in and had no problem, and it was looked at as a positive thing that people who were down on their luck were able to get finances and things like that. It's actually one of the things Martin Luther King actually talked about uh, when in, in a video where he uh, says we're going to, to Washington to get that check at the end. Um, which is, you know, one of the reasons why I think that he was was killed because he was close to getting reparations. But that's a different story for a different time. But again, I think it comes back to, you know, black people were enslaved, obviously, and then they were free, but they had no real assets to gain. So they became sharecroppers. They got back in the prison system. They were just, you know, struggling. So when you look at it now, fast forward. There's advantages, like you said, interest rates are big. One of the other things is big is we also had Eric Newman who came on here last season. You can go back and listen to that episode, listen to any episode on iTunes, podcast, search radio, pop being a Google Play. Um, he talked about having insurance, life insurance especially. A lot of people, you know, don't have any insurance and, you know, when they pass away, they're on go, you know, um, GoFundMe or they have to go, they, their family has to go on GoFundMe to get them buried. You know, there's a lot of, you know, 
uh, white families that when they die, they're handing out, you know, three, four hundred thousand dollars in inheritance. And I think that makes a huge difference. Like imagine if when your mother or father passed away, you're getting, you know, one hundred fifty thousand dollar check tax tax free. Now, obviously, you don't want your parents to pass away, but you also don't want them to pass away and leave you a bill. And I think a lot of times minorities have that problem where, you know, you're you're you know, especially us. I mean, we might be the first generation where we may have life insurance for our children. So our children may be able to close some of the gap because they won't be starting from behind. Because when you don't have those things, you start off and you have like student loan debt. You have, you know, housing debt, auto debt. If you can get if you can start off and get through your life without having college debt and get that first car without having a note, you can get a leg up and actually get some savings and get some things done. I think that's why the article busts the myth of, you know, I think there's this this thing of, well, the reason why black people and Hispanic people are poor is because, one, they're having too many kids or they're not raising their kids and are in the home or they're not working hard, they're not getting good jobs. The income gap is still not as big as a wealth gap. And I think that's the difference. There's a difference between income and wealth because I think that when you're starting at a, you know, all things being equal, we all have the same type of taxes and debt and things. If you don't have that cushion, you're going to have that, your, your, your margin is going to be that much less. And I think that's really what it is. There's no margin. And white people are on their third or fourth, and I'm not saying all white people, I'm saying a lot of white people. Um, yeah, I, you know, and I, and, I, and I don't want this to come off because I don't want this to be like, oh, well, they're saying all white people. No, not, you know, I'm saying the white people who have gotten an advantage, they're in their third and fourth generation of having that advantage so it's built up. So imagine if you're the grandson of, of, a, of and, you're, and you're both your grandparent and your parent, they had inheritance that they passed down to you, whether it be through life insurance, through property. Another thing that's being able to be passed down that's, that's often overlooked is black people weren't allowed to own property. So property that gets passed down where you know black people didn't have old money so to speak as far as oh a lot of big old farms or old property to hand down you know they didn't have anything you know they were just trying to to make ends meet just to survive so i think that when you go back and look at those things you can say well it's been a hundred and you know some odd years since slavery everything should be good well not really it takes generations to to things to catch up you know if you look at things the way they are it could take it could still take another you know 300 years to for it to catch up if you know if 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 that so it's just a lot um to take in but it was a great article because the conservative argument a lot of times has been well you know just work harder get a better job you know raise your kids together and you know and, and everything will be fine. But, you know, people don't really talk about very little secret, which is how much did you start your bank account off with? You know, you think about Donald Trump and I don't want to sidebar too much, but it's just like he says, I just I only, you know, it's, it's debated whether or how much money he got. Hillary Clinton said it was, you know, several million. He claims it was one million dollars. But I tell you what, I mean, getting one million dollars, even if it's just that is a huge advantage and to, for him to downplay and act like, oh, I only got a million dollars. It's like, oh, you only got a million dollars. You know, not to mention he got all of his dad's business acumen and connections from him. So, I mean, it's just silly to think that people kind of pull themselves in their bootstraps, which is actually an impossible thing to do, by the way. It's, it's a saying that's misused so often. It's not really meant to. It's like, a, it's like an oxymoronic statement. Like, you can't really pull yourself by your own bootstraps. But it's a it's a famous, lovely conservative saying. And uh, it's just kind of like this was a refreshing article. Um, to, to kind of open people's eyes and of course some people will have alternative ideas about it and say it's a liberal plant potentially but I, at least it's out there and it can be read and understood for what it is 
I'm glad you pointed out that there's a difference between wealth and income because here in the D.C. area, uh, Prince George's County in Maryland is, I believe, still is. I know for the longest time was the, the richest predominantly black county in the nation. And there are a lot of black people there that live in near near million dollar homes. Some some of them do live in million dollar homes, but and they have the income to afford that. But for some of them that have like an interest only loan or because of, you know, what happened with the housing crisis, some of them may be underwater with their mortgages. Well, then they don't have any wealth to pass down if they if they pass away. So they have the income, which is good, but if they don't necessarily have that wealth to pass down. And the article also points out solutions. It uh it says that they can enforce uh, anti-discrimination laws. There's a there's a great documentary. I think it's like three parts on the channel Epics. It features Rosario Dawson, Jesse Williams and the guy that wrote and produced All in the Family. Uh, he had like an undercover Camry. Camera, camera that went to a bunch of different apartments in New York City, and he had it to where he, who was a white man, would go in there and ask do they have any apartments available, and the landlord would say yes, and he would go look at them. Then he had a black man go and look. Like minutes later, literally minutes later, folks, and the, the same landlord would say no, we don't have any. So uh, enforcing anti-discrimination laws could be a start. Uh, reforming our criminal criminal justice system so rich. White people don't get off with the same crime that a poor black man would do where he would get sent to jail and the rich white person affluenza would not go to jail. That would help. Also, breaking down certain zoning laws that discourage affordable housing and, quote, the article said desirable neighborhoods. I call them white neighborhoods. Um, and so it, it speaks to all of those things that, as you mentioned in your answer, Frank, that were done decades ago that still affect us presently. So basically, the article is saying if you're born broke, your chances of ending up broke are, are pretty high, as opposed to a lot of white people because of what was done decades and decades ago. They have something to pass down uh, to their kids. So it's a great article, and we'll probably more than likely post it on our Facebook page. Uh, we're going to talk to uh, Nicole Spears, and after we're going to address a story that made me so angry that I actually held off on discussing it for the past couple episodes because I didn't want to do a whole bunch of cursing and dropping F-bombs. So I'm calm now, and Frank and I will discuss it. For now, let's, uh, let's talk to Nicole Spears. Listen up. It's time for a politically entertaining exclusive interview. Last time she was on, it was the highest rated show on our season one uh, episodes. She is an activist, blogger, and now an author. And last time she was on, she had people discussing uh, PWIs and HBCUs when they heard the interview. Nicole Spears, thank you for making time for us today. Thank you for having me again. I appreciate it. Oh, always welcome. Uh, speaking of PWIs and HBCUs, I wanted to start off there. The White House uh, this week is going to come out with an executive order addressing HBCUs. And it's kind of being reported as though that's something new. I want to let the people know that that's something that's done, been done since the Carter administration by every uh, president. But what will be different is some are saying that Trump wants to one up Obama on this and Two of the things that uh, people that represent HBCUs are asking for is, one, 
they're asking that the initiative be moved from the education department to the White House. And they're also asking for aspirational goals for money spent on the uh, universities. The president and CEO of Third Good Marshall College Fund, he was critical of Obama, and he's hoping that this administration will address those two things. I know this is something that's near and dear to you. What does the cold spears, what would you like to see this administration do? And do you care that uh, it's possible that Trump's motivation is to just one up Obama on this? Do you care what his motivation is as long as the uh, HBCUs are helped? Well, you, that's, you hit it on the head. I really don't care what his motivation is. You know, that's what if that's what he feels he want to do in order to do more. Then I, I would be the instigator in all of it and, and go to um, 45 and say, hey, look, you could be better than President Obama. I, if I have to instigate that for him to do better, then so be it. I, I, I can care less what his, what his motive is or if that's what he want to do, then I, I'm all for it. But what oh, I would he like, loves compliments. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I compliment him all, you know, rub his hair or head or wig or whatever. I do it all. It's no biggie to me. But what I would like to see him do, you know, we, we like funding. We definitely like funding, and our technology system in HBCU suck, and that's due to pretty much us not having funding. We spoke the last time that we still deal with the initiation of financial aid or registration, as we call it, because we don't have the technology we need to support the kids where most of the PWIs, you don't even have to see registration. You go online and you do what you need to do, whereas we still have, I call it initiation, we still have to go wait in line because we don't have the technology. Technology is a billion-dollar industry, um, so we don't, we can't afford it. I would also like to see the dorms um, prepared. You know, we, we, we need work yes. on our housing. Um, okay. That's something that it, it's, it's appealing to the children. I can respect that. You know, if you want to sleep somewhere, I'm I'm OCD, so I don't want my children sleeping anywhere where I want to lay my head. So I think it's a conversation that needs to be had. We can't just say, oh, they're children, they'll get over it. No, we need to focus on these kids and make them comfortable. And if we can make them comfortable in their environment from the beginning, then they'll start to initiate people themselves, and it won't be so much work done from recruiting. Because once children get to talking about what they're doing and why they're happy they're there, the peers will typically follow. Um, they have to be the sales pitch. Is for going to universities. It's kind of hard for the adults to sell that. I, I find it more becoming when children sell their pitch to their peers because it's more welcoming that way. So that's what I would like to see happen. I would like to see him provide financials, but I also want the presidents or the financial people of the university to take advantage of what needs to be done, and it has to be put on the forefront. That's what I would like. It's, it's being said that it's being spearheaded by Omarosa and whatever comes of this executive oh, yeah. order. That's 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 fair. <laughs> We'll uh, we'll definitely post whatever uh, they come out on our Facebook page. Now, I wanted to uh, transition from HBCUs because we spent a lot of time on that last time. And last time we also didn't have Frank on. So I consider Frank my co-host. I consider him much more knowledgeable in Christianity, religion and the Bible. I am religious myself, but I feel like there's a lot for me to learn. For people that follow you on social media, what is your biggest issue with uh, Christians? Because some on there tend to think that you're an atheist. And I, I feel like I know that's not the case. So just right. clear up any misconception and what it is. What is your biggest biggest problem with Christians? Uh, here you go. <laughs> Did I start I, something? <laughs> I, I, you got to start somewhere, I guess. I knew you was going to do it. Um, I do believe in God. 
let let me go ahead and throw that out there because I do. I get people to ask me all the time if I'm an atheist or whatever the case. And I think it's funny because once I tell people I don't practice Christianity, automatically assume that I have to be an atheist. Like there's no other option, which is pretty shallow to me. But to clear it up, no, I'm not an atheist. I do believe in a higher power. I don't dibble or dabble in religion anymore because I grew up as a Christian. So it's not like I have no experience in the religion, but as I get older and as I read, as I don't understand, as I do understand, as I see the practices of it, as I see what's going on as far as the division of the church, the division of the religion, the fighting of the wars, it's just too much for me to take in. And I have myself have gotten closer to God himself once I remove myself from all of that. I mean, there's so many things that I have, so many questions that I have, and no one is able to answer that. And the first thing they'll tell you is, you don't supposed to answer that. Or they'll say, you don't supposed to question God. Well, I won't say what I would tell them, but understand that I totally disagree with that. I don't think God will want you to not know. You know, if you don't know, you're supposed to know. And from what Christians tell me, you don't supposed to question God. It is what it is. No, I, no. Put it this way. If I'm going to go to hell or heaven, I'm going to lead myself down that way. I'm not going to follow what someone else has taught or told me all these years. I'm going to be my own cause of going to heaven or hell. It's that, And that's just the way I see it. And Frank. <laughs> so that's very interesting commentary. So one of the things that... Uh, I want to say, and I want to keep this on track, unlike Byron who's trying, I think, trying to side, side uh, uh, rail this thing. But I really think that you said something interesting to me, and I want you to kind of expound upon that, which is uh, you're not supposed to question God. So let's just say um, I believe in God, and I, I, believe, I believe in Jesus and, you know, being the son of God more specifically. But what I would like to say is if God, God is listening, I think God's always listening to everything. But the point is, if you had something to question God about, what would you ask him right now? Like, what is what is the question that you want to ask that people are saying you're not supposed to ask? Oh, it's, I mean, just growing up is anything. Like, if I ask, I have asked questions about things that have happened in the, in the Bible. Or, you know, in general, people tend to say, God, why this or why this happened or, or, or why did that have to happen? And they say that you shouldn't ask those type of questions. Well, I think if you have a question and you want to know, then I think you should be able to ask those questions. I don't think if I don't just like any anything else. If it's something you want to know, you should you should ask. You know, I just don't see. I can't. Nothing can make me think that he says don't ask me that. Just it is what it is. Just let things be. I just don't believe that. Oh, I, 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 no, I do agree with that. I was just saying, I wanted to know the specific question that some people say, like, give me a specific situation that somebody said, oh, well, this happened. Don't question God about, like, what is one specific thing that you would say? What death? What okay. death, people? You know, people, you know, if, in general, they say death. And see, I don't question that particular because I don't, you know, how people say, well, God wants this to happen or God or that's the devil. See, me personally, because I don't do religion. I don't believe that. I don't believe that God is the reason of death or God is the reason. You know, when you pray about things, here's my question to you. Mm-hmm. If someone, God forbid, had cancer mm-hmm. and someone would say, well, it was meant for them, God meant for them to have cancer. I disagree with that. Okay, so let's just say they're going through cancer and you're praying for them to get better. Mm-hmm. If they die, people will say, that's God's will. If they live, 
they say that's God's will. So here's my question. Why pray? That's a, I mean, that's if a great question. He's not going to change whatever he was going to do because you decided to pray. Well, if it's God's will and if he's written everybody's story as if I've been taught all my life that regardless of what you do, God already wrote your book. I've heard all of this. He already knows what you're going to do. He already knows what day you're going to die. If that is true, then what are you praying for? Because he's going to do whatever he says he's going to do anyway, right? So uh, if someone passes away or let's just say, they, like, I don't believe in freak accidents, like the train that fell off the bridge. Oh, that was a freak. No. That wasn't a free accident. God had nothing to do with that. That was man-made. Anything that's man-made can break, period. That has nothing to do with God, nothing. If I'm riding down the street behind a diesel with six cars on it, and those six cars come off the rail and I die, that had nothing to do with God because God did give me the common sense from birth. Don't ride behind a truck that close with six cars because guess what can happen? Those cars can come off that diesel and you can die. So, so, that's, uh, so that's you're saying some really good stuff. So I think I think there's a couple of things that people misunderstand about God. I believe God is all knowing, but I think that there's a difference between knowing what's going to happen and then and then actually saying that there's no reason to pray for it. I think I think I think there's a misunderstanding of how we interpret what God is. God is not a person to reason with. He doesn't look at time like who, who what is time to he who created it. So it's not like he look he doesn't look at time as a linear thing like okay, yes, we all have a start time and an end time. We know that we all will die because mm-hmm. of sin. Sin caused brought death into the world. So because of that, anything that happens in this world under under the law as they say is part of what's under the law like jesus so just just from where i'm coming from jesus died for man's sin because that's the only way the man could be redeemed the man this world cannot be redeemed there's nothing that can happen in this world that can redeem it only the eternal can be redeemed so what i, I guess what i'm saying is when you ask the question why should i pray somebody died i actually had a friend who he passed away he died from cancer and the question is why wasn't he cured uh the answer is the answer is simple i mean he was it's like he was supposed to die of cancer. Does that mean that God wanted him to die of cancer? No, but because of sin, everybody has something they're going to die from. So he happened to get cancer. He actually had a few occurrences of it. He he was cured or in remission a few times. And the the, se- the, the third time he had it, he uh, passed away. Now, what happened is in his death, a lot of things actually changed in my life. My career has totally shifted. So what I'm saying is, God uses death, he uses things in different ways where I, I don't think people may not understand like why it happens. It's very sorrowful, it's very tragic, but he may use a death or something something that people would say is negative to spur something else, to move something else. So I think that it's all we're all part of one collective body. So when we pray, you know, the prayers that God like if if it's part of God's plan, that doesn't mean that it's just his that doesn't mean that you shouldn't pray because of well if it's not supposed to if God doesn't want it to happen, it won't happen. But you pray to show your faith so that God can, you know, reward that faith. And he may not answer your prayer the way you want to, but he is always on time. He's always gonna do it right. And I think it's difficult for us to understand that because we are flawed with sin. So it's like you're trying to ask somebody who's who's perfect. If you believe that God is perfect and believe he doesn't make mistakes then it's very difficult to say, well, um, okay, why didn't this happen? It's just like, 
it doesn't mean you can't question God. It just means that we don't always understand. And I, I think there's a difference. Mm-hmm. Between, I think there's a difference between Actually, questioning. That. I think there's a difference between questioning God and then not understanding everything that happens. Like some people say, well, why was Donald Trump the president? If God is in in charge, why would He make Donald Trump the president? Well, what if He made Donald Trump the president so that the people who are Christians who have been slack, have been lazy, are now going to get off their you know tail and start praying and start being more active, not just praying but also being active with their works? And you know, I think that a lot of times Christians have gotten very comfortable in this country. And you know, Donald Trump is not a Christian. He's he has specifically said, "I am not a Christian. I don't believe in God. I don't need to ask for forgiveness. I don't need to pray." And you know, right. it, what what you're seeing now is who is really a Christian. And when I say Christian, I agree with you. God, Jesus was not a Christian specifically because it didn't exist like that. He was Jesus, and he said, right. "Believe in me." So Christianity. If you say I'm not a Christian, that is, I mean I agree with you. People will say you're an atheist, or they say, "What are you? Are you Buddhist? Are you Jewish?" No, following following Jesus Christ has nothing to do with necessarily calling yourself putting yourself a label, right? Because there's a lot of people on the alt right who are saying they're Christian. I will say that they are not. Right. I will say that at the end at the end of times, people will say, "Well, you know what? God will say I don't know you um, because you you know say you practice in my name, but you did not." So my thought is, okay, we have a division going on in this country where. There are people that have said they are Christian for years and masqueraded behind it. But see, God is not about this 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 uh, mockery of his name, of his faith. And that's why you're seeing what you're seeing now, which is you're seeing people being divided. People that have been comfortable saying, oh, yeah, I believe in God is cool. But now it's not cool right now. It's getting a little bit like, oh, you believe in God. OK, let's see. Let's see. And I think things are going to continue to be divided because God is dividing his people and that's why you're seeing these things now and just going back to some other things you said yes it is frustrating times when you pray for something and it doesn't happen but then sometimes when you can look back and totality say wow that happened because that didn't happen or it didn't happen because of this i think that at the end of things everything will be explained but i don't think there's anything wrong with being frustrated and being questioned i've, I've been frustrated you know with god I mean, sometimes i've been somewhere i've been like god you know when i can when am i just going to get this new job i want to get out of here what do you want me to do you know what is it that you want me to do why am i even here and and it will be revealed i always believe it will be you know if, you, if you're listening and i think a lot of times we don't listen because we want an outcome we say well, we want this more money we want more we want something and we're not listening. So I think that a lot of times when people say that they're praying and they're not hearing the answer, they're not listening to what God really wants for their life. And he's just like, well, you're not really, you know, and, and are you are you wishing or are you praying? I think sometimes people say, well, I hope, you know, I get this job. I hope mm-hmm. I get this house. It's like, are you really forcefully praying? Are you praying consistently? What are you praying for? What What are the things in your life? What are the other things in your life are you doing? Are you serving others? Are you, you know, doing right. other things that are part of the new New Testament covenant, which is loving your neighbor as yourself? If you're living a hate filled mm-hmm. life online and, and everything else, and then you're praying like, oh, my prayers didn't get answered. Well, you're not, you know, you're not going to be necessarily um, rewarded. Your faith is not where it needs to be. So, I mean, I just think there's a lot to it. I mean, I, I like your perspective. I like people who question God there's no reason and I and I agree with people that even are upset maybe they look at the Bible and say well what's there are certain things in it they're like well I don't understand it I don't get it I'm also of the belief that you know it's possible I'm not trying to start a conspiracy conspiracy theory here I believe the Bible is a perfect book a perfect word it doesn't mean that over the 2,000 years somebody might have mangled it a little bit but that doesn't what I'm saying is it doesn't change what his word is I don't believe that God allows word to, to lose the main meaning that doesn't mean it may not have been manipulated by people somewhere because we don't necessarily know like who has the original Aramaic 
Bible that was written. I don't know if that exists or, you know, I know it's been translated a long time ago, but I'm just saying that I think that, you know, those things to me are semantics to where it's like if you if you, you know, God is all around us. And so in the end, in my opinion, he's the architect of this world. And if you choose to not believe or believe or whatever it is, it's, it's being shown to us who he is. And I think we all have different viewpoints and different ways of looking at it. But at the end, it will all be revealed. And mm-hmm. I mean, like I said, I, I I know I just talked all over your answer, and it's and Byron got <laughs> and, and Byron knew this was gonna happen, so I'm just I'm just gonna pause I mean, right and now. That, and, hey, and and from your perspective, I totally respect that. I totally understand that. Like I said, I've been a Christian for pretty much 40 years. You know, this is something that I've just been paying more attention to, uh, being more observant of. You know. And and actually, it's because of the things, most of the things that, well, not most, but what I've read and I cannot comprehend are is what has pushed me away from Christianity. And then, of course, the practices of people in Christianity today has scared the crap out of me. Like, I don't, I don't even want to be affiliated anymore when I deal with people who claim they're Christians. And then I see what they do. I see what they say. Of course, no one is perfect. I have no problem with that. We're human. Of course, no one is perfect. But it's the same people who preach all day and then turn around and do some of the most conniving things that I've ever realized people could do. And I'm like, really? And you were just praying yesterday, you know, talking in tongue and and all this stuff, and then tomorrow you cussing out somebody or or blessing somebody out or or ready to steal and ready to fight. And I, I I don't understand that. So I just prefer to remove myself from those types of practices and just focus on God himself. You know, because I've read things in the Bible, of course, that I'm like, wait a minute, the God that I know, I don't believe this. For instance, if you're not a Christian, you're going you're gonna to be destroyed. That's in the Bible. I don't believe God wrote that. I don't, but God created all. Like you said, he created all and everything. you telling me he's going to create everybody and everything up under the heavens and then destroy these people because they didn't choose Christianity? That's bullcrap. Nobody's going to make me believe God said that. And he created He created everybody that's Muslim, everybody that's Buddhist, everybody. And you're going to tell me because they chose that religion that he's not going to bless them or they're going to be destroyed? No. No. Something else, and you may find it, a lot of people find it funny, but I want you to think about this. They say lust is a sin, right? Yes. Okay, here's my thing. When I see a, a man, and if he finds and if I get around because he finds as a woman and I get around, you ain't going to tell me I'm wrong. Let me explain to you why. If God didn't want me to get horny or aroused for looking at a fine man, he would have made my arms flap instead. We just went to church, as you can see. <laughs> and uh, the exchange you just heard between Frank and Nicole, you can imagine what her uh, social media posts are like when you have 50 different people chiming <laughs> in. So that just gave you a brief look into that. Nicole Spears, I call her uh, Miss Third Pot, is with us. <laughs> and <laughs> at the beginning, at, at the beginning of uh, when you came on, I said that you are now an author. And you have a book coming out called Focus, Fearless and Fighting. And I'm going to start for a minute because I had the privilege of reading it before any of you all have. I read it a few months ago. Good book. I wanted to ask you what inspired you to write the book and what do you hope people will get from it? Well, society is what actually 
inspire me to write the book. Just the things that are going on. You know, people always say, well, when me raising kids didn't come with no book or there are no guidelines to how to raise these kids today. And, and a lot of it we say is, is common sense. And I have a soft spot for parents as well as children. So, you know, we tend to say, well, let's start at home or let's start with the parents and we can leave it at that. But I tend to have a soft spot for the parents because just because it start with the parents, the parents may not have may not have had the upbringing that they should have had. So they may need just as much help, you know, as the children do that they're trying to raise. So just looking in society and looking at how the children are growing up and what they're lacking, which are basic necessities like love and attention, that just inspired me to, to go ahead and write something, to give just people the basics that maybe they didn't have growing up on their own. To, to finally start having something that they can follow to start raising their children properly. I, uh, I'm going to get you out of here with one more question, but I did want to say to the audience about the book that it's very relatable and easy to read. And even if you're someone that hates to read, I think you'll find this book easy to read. It was more like having a conversation with you than it was as far. I didn't feel like I was reading a book. I felt like I was sitting somewhere listening to you, uh, Give me your advice and opinions on things. The uh, the when you when you can't help with schoolwork section was my favorite. The section that you wrote about on sex, I feel like it's very important and allowing your kids to not be a, a follower. I felt like was very informative. So mm-hmm. I do want to wish you good luck. Good luck on the book. Uh, it'll be coming out later mm-hmm. this year. Correct. Yes. I'm and again, it is called. OK. And again, it's called Focus, Fearless and Fighting. Now, speaking of focus, uh, you've been focused on investing in Pritchard, Alabama. That's a small town in Mobile where Frank and I are from and where you are. Uh, it's a predominantly black neighborhood. And uh, I've been seeing a lot of your posts and you've been very focused on investing and building up Pritchard, Alabama as it uh, has, I guess, suffered economically. How can people help you with this effort and what is your goal with uh, building up Pritchett? I'm so glad you asked me that. Uh, right now we have an account open at Commonwealth National Bank here in Mobile, the only black bank we have. And if people can go there and donate $5, $2, $1, whatever they can, you know, we're not putting a dollar figure on anything um, that they can donate. What the plan is initially we want to go ahead and we have found, we have adopted a sign area in Pritchard approved by the city council councilman as well as the mayor. Um, we hope to soon do a hundred balloon drop in that area at that particular um, site where we're going to do this. And we want to build a brand new welcome to Pritchard sign. We want to make it a beautiful brick sign, something that Pritchard is probably never used to having, but we want to make it a, a beautification area. And we want to do that first. And the reason why we want to do that first is we want to let the community know that we're not just taking your money doing anything with it. And we want to show them that we're serious about revitalizing the city. Um, we would hope to turn downtown Pritchard, um, the city mall area, we will hope to turn, turn that into a small Black Wall Street if we can. Um, and that's where we're starting from. So we want to start small. And once the community realizes that we're serious about what we're doing, maybe they'll participate more, they'll donate more. Um, maybe we'll get some companies close to the area to start donating as well so we can kind of revitalize and put businesses back into the city and get more people to visit the city and 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 get it revitalized again make it another place where people want to live 
Yeah, that is that is fantastic. I want you to tell the listeners one more time how can they and where can they donate? You said at least five dollars. At least five dollars to any Commonwealth National Bank and Mobile. The the account is under self preservation. Um, so they can go into any Commonwealth bank and donate whatever they can, and the, the account is called self-preservation. Well said. Well done. Good luck on that. Good luck on the book. Uh, Nicole Spears, we talked about religion, HBCUs, a book, uh, building up a community. She is uh, well-rounded, as you can see. I want to thank you again for coming on. For those of you that don't know, she's in Mobile. The Boom Boom is going on right now. If you don't know what the Boom Boom is, uh <laughs> you wasn't born in Mobile, so that's too bad. Uh, but that's going on. And, and she she took time out to be with us when she could be partaking in those festivities. So we that's thank you right. for coming on. And uh, I, I hope everyone enjoyed, whether they agree or disagree, I hope they enjoyed this. And like last time, hope it'll make you think. Thank you for coming on, ma'am. Thank you. Once again, I want to thank Nicole for coming on. Now, what you just heard was an edited version of the conversation. The conversation actually went, I would say, over 30 minutes. Uh, so what we would do for those of you that were interested in hearing more, because trust me, it got pretty interesting. Frank and Nicole had, a, I would say, a good back and forth. Frank, thanks. I set them up. But uh, we'll let you hear the, the interview in its entirety on our YouTube channel in weeks to come. Once it's ready, we'll let you know it's up and you can check it out. I actually enjoyed you guys exchange uh, on religion, Frank. And I like what she's trying to do in Pritchard. And I really did mean what I said about her book. It's a very easy book to read. And I think especially for first time parents, especially uh, or people that are desiring to become a parent, I highly recommend her book when it when it comes out. And I wanted to uh, get your thoughts on the interview with Miss Spears. <laughs> and she, she is definitely a, a fighter, so to speak, and in a good way, a positive way. Uh, she has a great spirit. Uh, I enjoyed the interview. She definitely uh, questioned some things. I think, you know, we, we actually ha had agreement on certain things. I mean, obviously, we have certain beliefs about certain things um, that we neither one of us were willing to walk back, which I think is is fine. But the main thing, and I'll say this just in closing, is, you know, as as a Christian, my, my job is to be an example. And I, my job is, not, is to people to look at me and say, you know what, Frank is all right. You know, I don't feel like he's forcing anything on me and I you know one of the things that she obviously felt was you know she had been uh, pressed upon negatively but she she definitely has like I said a great spirit great attitude and also some of the things she's doing in the community are just great and uh, I will try to actually probably read her book too that's something that uh, could definitely probably help me so again I, I really like having people on like that who challenge uh, us on this show it's really exciting so uh, thank you Nicole for that and hopefully we'll have you back on soon all right, very well. Uh, before we get out of here, uh, like I said uh, before the interview with Nicole, there was a story that came out a couple of weeks ago. I, I definitely wanted to discuss it, but I needed to calm down. And I think, you know, the, the reasons that had me upset, I've been able to, I think, come up with answers as to why. And that has helped calm me down. But a couple of weeks ago, Frank, uh, Carolyn Donham, uh, formerly Carolyn Bryant, uh, she is the woman that claimed that Emmett Till whistled at her and, and touched her, I guess, groped her or whatever. Well, a couple of weeks ago, she came out and admitted that she lied about that, that the uh, the then 14 year old Emmett Till uh, did not 
uh, Toucher, I'm, I'm assuming that you all all know the Emmett Till story. If not, we're running up against time. You're, like, you're going to have to Google that. Everybody should know about this story. But she admitted that she lied about it. And here's the first thing that pissed me off initially. And I was able to, you know, reason through it, Frank. One, when she came out and said that, you know, she lied about it, I didn't like some of the reaction as far as people saying, oh, you know, that's messed up. You know, that that boy died for nothing. She she lied. And it's like he always died for nothing. Like even if he had have whistled and touched her, that that's still no justification to to do what they did to this 14 year old kid. There was no justification whatsoever other than it was just racist men that that wanted to take out their feelings on a 14 year old kid. So there was never, ever a reason. I guess my my thing is. Even if she was telling the truth, it still doesn't justify what happened to him. And when I saw some of the responses, it was almost like, well, you know what? Since she lied, what happened to Emmett Till is messed up. And and I wholeheartedly disagree with that. But I think as I was able to reason through it, Frank, I guess what people are saying is, has she never lied on him at all? Has she never, you know, even addressed him that he would still be alive now? The reason she's come out with these comments is Tim Tyson. He's writing a book called Blood of Emmett Till, and he spoke with her and she admitted this to him. Now, he said that she didn't admit why she lied. But the second thing that pissed me off and I get you to uh, jump in here on this, Frank, was Emmett Till's cousin. When I read when I read the article, she praised she praised Miss Dunham, quote, for her courage of of speaking out and telling the truth and and that had me livid it had me in a space where when the judge told dylan roof well he didn't tell dylan roof but he said that you know we should all keep his family in mind and remember that they're going through something as well after nine people had just been gunned down in a church for having bible study we got to immediately remember his family and forgive them and think about them. And that pissed me off. And so to hear her, you know, say these things and say, well, you know, she's so courageous for coming out and speaking the truth. That was that was kind of BS to me because it, it's, it's nothing courageous about what she did. The heifer never should have lied on this boy in the first place. He could still be alive. His mother never would have had to go through this uh, tragedy. But. I guess, again, I reason with it and she the family wants to find out all the details of the case. And I'm I'm guessing this cousin is feeling like, well, you know, if she compliments Miss Dunham and call her courageous and stuff, then maybe she'll finally tell the whole story and tell the why and everything else that goes with it. Um, what were your thoughts on Miss Dunham? I guess, you know, having this moment of clarity and, and, and admitting that she lied. I mean, it's, it's it's disgusting. It's a disheartening story. I mean, I don't think there's any way to look at it other than that. Uh, regarding the cousin praising Miss um, Dunham uh, speaking out, it could have been. Uh, there's only two ways to react. Sometimes you know, I say you can laugh or you can cry, and maybe it was just a cathartic way for her to react to say that um, to not you know have any because i'm sure it's still something they their family never is going to get over and you know at this point they they probably already knew 
that truth or knew that Emmett maybe didn't even do anything or certainly nothing worth uh, nothing worthy of him being killed like he was and they, they just probably want the truth at this point and so it's just I don't think that they really are I think it's kind of one of those things where you just at the, you live your whole life and something like tragedy like this happens and you just need to know um, what happened I mean the real shame of it is the people that actually did kill him who sh- they should have gone to jail regardless whether or not this lady lied or not they did not you know um, and so that to me is, is another issue there so uh, you know it, it's just another sad chapter in, in, in the history of this country with regard to race relations and it's still a stain that's still here and it goes back to the beginning of the show when you talk about slave master we just can't get you know that's our you know biggest thing and we can't admit that is there you know we say oh it's you know this or that post-racial but um it just shows that there's still a lot of hurt and and obviously you know i wish they could prosecute this lady for lying i don't think there's any statute where they can but you know at this point you just want closure for the family you just pray for peace for the family that's what that's what i would say but it's there's nothing i don't have a positive spin necessarily to put on other than the fact that there is some peace in having closure and the truth about a situation. I'm a, I'm assuming they can still prosecute her because one of the things that they uh, were trying to entice her with was immunity. And she actually has a memoir that she uh, wrote that uh, where she allegedly tells everything that happened and tells all. But it's not set to release until 2036. Now, she still could be subpoenaed for her words in this memoir. And there is precedence as uh, a former class member in uh, Mississippi in 1988. He wrote a book admitting his crimes and it was uh, only supposed to be published once he died. Uh, but uh, he, he was subpoenaed for it and they wound up using his words against him and he wound up uh, going to jail for it. And and the final thing I want to say, man, I guess, you know, I had that reaction to what I read in this article because I guess I'm just tired of, you know, violent acts being committed against us. And we immediately we're always asked to be, you know, peaceful, nonviolent, don't retaliate, forgive. Yet you guys came for our former president when he said the police acted stupidly when they arrested a man who was trying to get in his own house. So, you know, I guess I just get pissed off sometimes that people were more outraged at Obama saying that than they were at, you know, some of the police shootings we've seen of unarmed black males. So it it gets a little tiring sometimes. And uh, before I let you get the last word, I just, as always, want to thank the listeners for uh, tuning in to us. We really appreciate it. We love the feedback you give us. And we just ask that you um, tell other people about the show and get them to subscribe. Again, I want to thank all the listeners. We're, we couldn't do the show without you. I want to thank Nicole Spears for coming on again. Thank you for uh, your candor and your honesty. We uh, we appreciate that. Uh, um, again, just you know, pay attention to what's going on in the world. Definitely vote spotter, countable. Uh, make sure you use your apps. Make sure you know what's going on. Obviously, story today. I just just briefly mentioned it. CNN banned from a White House press uh, meeting, press briefing. So these are things that you need to talk to representatives about and let them know that. You know, we're not going to have a censure of our free speech, and those things are important. Uh, just keep that in mind. Just keep on, just stay vigilant. 
Uh, again, we thank you for, for your support. Definitely let people know about this show. Let them know they can listen iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play. See you soon on another episode of Politically Entertaining. Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates.